Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. On our latest podcast, we have the co-host of The Dollop and all-round good guy, Dave Anthony, discussing the state of America at this moment in time. And Rachel Melanta returns to talk to me about experiments being conducted on snails. My name is Justin Hamilton, and you're a part of the family here at Big Squid. Thanks for joining me today. A couple of quick things before we get into the show. The chat with Dave is fantastic, as you know it will be, because he's fantastic. But there was a little issue with the audio, and it's with my mic at this end, and to be honest, it's my fault. It's still new equipment, and I made a basic little mistake, so my audio isn't as good as it should be. We've done what we can with it, though, so look... It's completely listenable, but if you're wondering why I sound like I'm the one who was overseas, it's basically because I'm an idiot. So I'm sorry about that. It's really frustrating. If anything, there was just the briefest of moments where I thought I didn't have any of my audio, and I thought, wow, wouldn't that just be great to have wasted Dave's time like that, or worse, have to come in and (laughs) re-record my side of things. Hmm, yes, that wouldn't sound fake at all. Anyway, it's turned out fine, and uh, a big shout-out to uh, audio producer and pal Andy Ma, who uh, really gave it uh, a bit of a pump-up, and you'll probably think I'm overblowing it a little bit, maybe. Anyway, it's still great, and Dave's fantastic. A big thank you to the people who came out to the gigs in Wodonga and Canberra. The Wodonga gig was super fun, and I've been really lucky to have been to Canberra a few times in the past year to 15 months, something crazy like that. So uh, I've been 
able to see the gig slowly opening up to their normal capacity. And anyone who was at the Friday night show will know how fantastic it was. The audience was super hot. Like, as soon as I walked out, I could tell they were up for it. They were sharp. They were ready to go. And everyone who was there will never forget 11-year-old Kate, who was sitting in the front row. Yep. (laughs) As I said on the night, there's nothing like having a really young person in the audience remind you how little of your material is appropriate for the youth of today. It was a great night, though, and thanks to all the people at the theatres in Wodonga and Canberra for making the shows really special. 2021 has been a marked improvement on last year so far, but it is also a little chaotic and messy. There is just stuff going on that's just really hard to get on top of, to be honest. Uh, Not a complaint, but it is just throwing curveballs left, right and centre. And because of that... uh, Our live Big Squid show, which was meant to be on the 25th of April, and then we're going to move it to earlier in April, we're going to move it to May for reasons that are too boring to go into, and I'm super disappointed that I can't get this show to you sooner, but it will happen. It's just going to happen a little bit later. I didn't want to do the show and have have to miss out on some of the guests that I wanted to have on that particular show. So I would rather make it a little bit later. No one's bought any tickets. We haven't gone on sale yet, so it's not too disappointing. It's it's just an idea at this point. So we'll, we'll push it back and then we'll get everyone lined up and then we will uh, go for gold at the beginning of May. So I'll tell you more about that when we get into April. Uh, I've just started a pretty manic week Uh, with uh, a new writing job that's going to take me through till the end of March. And the reason I bring that up is I'm just letting you know I might not be lurking around our Big Squid private page as much, but don't let that stop you from checking in with everyone else or even dropping me a line. Like, I'll get to it as soon as I can. Uh, I'm in particular loving the feedback on the Leftovers episodes and hearing how you're enjoying watching and listening uh, week to week. It's a bit of an old-fashioned way to uh, go about it, but uh, I'm really enjoying your enjoyment of it. And people like Steve Malk sends me updates on where he's at with the series all the time, and I just love it. So just a reminder, in case you wonder why I haven't replied like normal, this next two weeks, right up until about the 31st of March, is going to be pretty tricky. I'm spinning a lot of plates. This is not dissimilar to how my career often plays out like often it is you know nothing's happening nothing's happening everything's happening but this year is just pumped up to 11 it's like everything's on steroids so I will be around and I will get to that the the good thing is is that I knew this was coming I knew this was going to be full-on so I've already interviewed uh, a whole lot of people that uh, I can't wait to uh, you know put on future podcasts I've got a great chat with AJ Lamar a young comedian who's wowing Sydney audiences and my mate Garth Jones and I have our first past the Amel segment that's ready to go we're going to focus on the art of osploitation there's a lot coming up I'm trying to really plan far enough ahead to keep the podcast rolling for you. The latest Ben Elwood chat is a good one too. That's for Sophia Copler's Marie Antoinette. Uh, 
So if you haven't watched that, you've got a couple of weeks to get that under your belt before I release that podcast. And you know what? I'm recording this at 9pm on Monday night. And I'm getting up at 4.30am to interview someone that I'm really excited about. I'm not going to tell you who. Haha. I've told you heaps. I'm not going to tell you this one. I'll let you know about that soon. Maybe I won't even be able to wait. I'll just have to, uh, maybe I'll just have to release it next week. Anyway, super excited. Lots coming up. But enough of me banging on about what's in the future. Let's get into what we have right here, right now. She's the woman who hates Harry Styles with a passion all the way from lockdown in Canada. She's here to talk to us about the gaslighting of snails. Welcome to the podcast, Rachel Melanta. Coming off her hot takes on who the doctor would be having sex with and uh, which aliens would be right up the doctor's alley, ooh la la, and she's back from Canada. Are we going that controversial today? Is, are we going somewhere that uh, we shouldn't be going? Or wh- what are we talking about this time? Well, I don't know if this is controversial. It's a little bit controversial. Um, we're talking about a news article that has come out this, like, in the last month, and I'm obsessed with it. And basically, scientists are gaslighting snails, Justin, and we need to <laughs> We talk do about need that. to talk about that. It's not as controversial as Doctor Who because nothing ever will be because, you know, but basically, scientists are just out there erasing the memories of snails and transferring memories between snails. It is straight up wild. And it's all I can think about. Why are they doing this? It's to do with, like, they're doing research in regards to memory and, like, PTSD, potentially, like, Alzheimer's, this sort of stuff. But, I mean, like, it's just... So much to take in. Is the thing. Like, have you ever seen that film, um, Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind? Yes, I have. I love that movie so much. There, It was a movie that two friends of mine hated to such a degree that I made the conscious decision to never trust their take on a movie again. Okay, so that's a pretty strong opinion. <laughs> well, like, think Eternal Sunshine of a Spotless Mind, but like in this, everyone has a shell. Right, sorry. So we're going... Pixar's Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. No, honestly, I think we need to admit that, like, the only thing that was missing from that film was the fact that there wasn't enough shells. But I've always thought that about that film, so... You're not alone. So this has been developed over years, right? So there's been reports, like, from, like, 2017, 2018, whenever. But it's gotten a lot more coverage this year because with new results coming in. And I am just obsessed, right? So there is two different things they're doing with this, right? They have these snails. They are sea snails, which... I think is relevant, have an average lifespan of a year and their average memory is two to three weeks. So I would like to discuss how long-term these long-term memories are, but that's a different conversation, right? These researchers, they've selectively erased certain long-term memories. And they're not replacing them with other snails' memories? There is a different one where they're transferring memories. So the in one of them, they had two snails and they did with one snail all these um, like defensive drills and like tests and trained it to be um, to put out a defensive mechanism when they came at it with something. And then what they have found is they have injected these cells from that snail to a new one with the RNA, which is um, like an acid. It's a molecule involved with 
biological organisms. And they inserted into the new snail that hadn't undergone any of the drills, any of the testing, and the new snail reacted the way that the previous one had. So as if they had been sensitized. So they know that now the new snail has like developed this memory from the old snail. So that feels really scary on a number of levels. One is it's bad for the snail. Like if you're taking away uh, experiences, does that mean that what if you put that snail back out in the world somewhere, does that now not have certain defense mechanisms because you've taken away those experiences? Well, no, all the defense mechanisms, my understanding is that like they were through a trial, like they ran a repetitive drill to develop the mechanism. So it wasn't a mechanism they biologically had. It was otherwise the test wouldn't work because the other snail would biologically have it as well. So they ran a test on this snail and developed this mechanism and then took it away. My interesting thing is like the one where they're just erasing memories. Basically, they found that there's different memories are maintained by two different kinds of protein molecules and you can block one of these molecules and therefore decide which memory to block. And I think what all this leads to is like what this means for humans. So It's complex in humans because, shockingly, snails are not the same as humans. Blew my mind, right? Should meet some of my exes and you would not believe with that. But nonetheless, it's kind of interesting to me because in humans, like when you have trauma memories and such, like the idea of like PTSD and blocking memories with that, trauma memories are so intertwined with other memories. Like, for example, if you're attacked like, I don't know, if I was attacked in a coffee shop, maybe every single time I hear coffee being made, it comes back even like they're so intertwined with other things you get flashbacks from weird triggers that you don't understand what they're investigating now and like what i'm interested in is how could you block or use a drug to block one memory without blocking other consequential memories i see what you mean so it's it feels like it's uh, working towards an ideal which is great so that would be you know in your example that means someone could once again enjoy coffee because they've blocked the trauma, but when they hear the thing that they associate with it, that's no longer associated. So that would be a good thing. That's what they're trying to work out the moment. Well, firstly, because the memories they've removed from the snails at this point, I should say, they're not sure how permanent that is. They're not sure whether they're permanently removed or what that scenario is yet. It's still relatively early. But it's sort of, um, yeah, I think that, like, just neutral factors in the world, anything could trigger it. So... You might not remember being attacked, but would you still freak out every time you hear coffee be made and not know why if the memory's gone? You know, would you still have emotional responses? So what you're saying there is you could get it around the wrong way. So if you did it incorrectly, you could be triggered by the sound of coffee beans going off and not know why, which actually seems really dangerous because... Part of the reason you need to remember things is to know being put in a position so you don't end up in that position again. That's kind of, I think it's just in general, like, okay, so let's say right, like right now you're attacked, right? And you want to forget that you're attacked. Well, let's say we completely remove that memory, but then there might just naturally be other emotional triggers that will just randomly crop up throughout life. Like how can you remove all those memories? If you remove any memory of ever being punched, or ever feeling violence towards you, you could remove anything. You know, like there would just be random blocks throughout because memories are so intertwined. So are you removing one memory? Are you moving 500 memories? And that's what they're trying to do with the snail. That's what they're trying to work out to a large extent. But once again, you have to question, I mean, if sea snails only live for about a year, 
and their memory is only two to three weeks. Once again, how long-term is this long-term memory they're removing, you know? Like, not really the same thing. But also, it all, I I, I don't know, I just don't love the idea that we're gaslighting snails. For starters, these experiments must be taking ages because snails do not move very quickly. And then the poor snail learns this new trick. And then it gets the trick taken away and they only live a year. Like, you're wasting that snail's life. So, if you can play an instrument, can you swap that memory into me and now I can play that instrument? Well, hang on a sec. That's two different things, though, isn't it? Because the first thing is we're trying to remove the trauma or remove a skill set. But are they keeping it somewhere? to be able to transfer it or are they just deleting it? Well, that's what I said before. Like there's the two snails where one didn't have the memory and one hadn't been trained and the new one had, um, you know, and then they um, gave the, and then all of a sudden the defence mechanism was in the new snail that had been transferred from the one that had been trained. With that same theory, if that's based off training and not simply memory and how interlinked are those, well, if you can do something, like for example, speak a language, that's more memory-based, I guess. If you can speak a language, if you can speak French and they isolate that memory, those molecules, and they inject it into me, am I going to be able to speak French? It feels like you might be able to do that. Like you might be able to speak a language because that is a memory thing. I wonder if, if you were taking the memories of how to play, say, the piano, you would still be able to, you, you might be able to know how to do it, but you'd still need to be able to do it physically. And you wouldn't have, like someone could take, you know, the perfect service action from Roger Federer and put it in my head and I might know exactly how to do it as an idea, but I doubt that I'd be able to do it physically. But that would come in handy for language and things like that. I'm just like obsessed with this idea that they're just like removing memories. Like what, like what, and I just feel that's so dangerous. I mean, Gaslighting in general is such a vicious thing. How far does this go? This is a problem with most scientific breakthroughs. They invariably start in some place really positive and then they devolve into something that's used for nefarious reasons. Yeah, well, what are they saying to these snails? Right, what are they saying to these poor snails? So what kind of memories would you want to have taken away and what kind of memories would you like to have added? That was literally the question I was about to ask you as well. See, I think if I could have memories taken away... See, because... I don't have any memories. Like, I mean, I have traumatic memories and stuff, but I also feel like to a large extent they've made me who I am. Having said that, I mean, like, like you know what I mean? I feel, but then again, I am also speaking as someone who's like never been to war or something. Like, so you go down that kind of road. But that's a good thing. And so that's, I probably wouldn't have asked a question if I'd known you'd been to war because then the answer would have been uh, war. I'd get that taken out. I think embarrassing stuff. <laughs> Right, but as a comedian, like some embarrassing things are fodder for on stage. You're very true. I'm not sure what I'd remove. I would like to take some people's though. Oh, like of things that you've done that are embarrassing? No, I mean like I just I want them transferred to me off someone else. So before we get into what you'd have transferred in, so but having something taken away, I think there's like I'd probably take away the last three seasons of Dexter. I watched it from the start. It was never one of my favourite TV shows. It got to a point where there was a season with Jimmy Smith that I really enjoyed. And then I kind of kept watching it. And just as I was about to give up on it, they said they're only doing two more seasons. And I figured, well, I've done five. I might as well do the last two. And then I did the last two. And I was like, well, that's fucked. That was a real waste. Why didn't I just get out at five? See, it's kind of like Orange is the New Black, where we all just should have stopped watching after season two. But we didn't. We watched it the entire way through. And that was a waste of time. Um, But honestly, the one, if we're going down that, things that I definitely could remove from my map. What was that film? Casey Affleck starred in it, where they were like train robbers, and it went for like 17 hours. 
It was terrible. Anyway, I insisted on sitting there for three hours and watching the entire film just because I'd started it, and I definitely could have that three hours of my life back. But I, I don't know. I just kind of think it would be really handy if it was, like, something that you could just, like, just inject when you get home, like if you just say something real dumb. Wait a second. Wait a second. Are you talking about the assassination of Jesse James by the coward Robert Ford? Yes. We are very different people sometimes, Rachel. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> Did you love that movie? Yeah, it's a masterpiece. Oh, I thought that was woeful. I would probably take the memory of you saying bad things about that movie out of my head. <laughs> that would be my first thing that I would do. <laughs> so if you could have memories put in, what would you have? Some good skills. Like, But as you said, there'd be the fear that I wouldn't actually be able to do it. Like, I would love to be able to speak languages. So if that's a memory-based skill, I would love that to be transplanted. Like, so everyone's just like a polyglot. That would be amazing and also great politically. So... I would have a, a different thing because because I don't I think there is the potential to have a skill transferred into your head and then you can't do the skill but you know how to do it and that might lead to being really frustrating. I love basketball. I'm a big basketball fan. I could have Steph Curry shooting action injected into my head and then I'd go out and I'd be like, "Ah, oh, why can't I do this? I know exactly how to do it." This is really frustrating. So you know what I would have? I would want to have people's experiences of concerts. I was literally about to say travel, like places you'd never, like, for example, like, I mean, I went to the Notre Dame, but like I could give my Notre Dame memory people who now can't go because it's burned down. So, like, you could, I, I would love to, like, see Nirvana live. Yeah, absolutely. You know, in their heyday kind of thing or like I'd love to have seen the Rolling Stones when they were, just those young kids who were so naughty and and upsetting the uh, British establishment and having that in the back of your head and just being able to sit there and go, wow, that's the closest I'll ever come to experiencing that. I'm not even a big Rolling Stones fan, but that was such a phenomenon. It would have been great to experience. So that's that's definitely where... Right. I'd also just love all of Jimmy Iovine's memories. Like, just the concept, like, because he recorded with so many people yeah. like so like the early U2 days everything like that I just want all his memories oh uh, you know the one memory you wouldn't want of his the three weeks they spent on getting that one drum sound correct for Bruce Springsteen I duck that one but then you have to question how is this regulated like for example if I want all Jimmy Iovine's memories do I have to go to Jimmy Iovine and he goes yeah cool have my memories or can I just take them like are they uploaded into the cloud right because my then question would be, all right, if I think you're sitting in a room with two of your best mates and you're talking about me, can I just steal one of your memories and find out what you said? Now that's a completely different thing. I like the idea of what you can do is, you know what it'll be like? It'll be like the early days of podcasting. To begin with, everyone would just be uploading their memories and people would be downloading them for free and enjoying mm. them. And then at some point, someone will realise they can monetize <laughs> them. And so then you will be getting onto a, a memory like you'd be... Like, I'd, I'd, I'd knock back a memory of George Clooney making Ocean's Eleven and a really good day with the whole crew. And then in the middle of it, while I'm having this great memory, you'd hear... When I want food delivered, I go to Blue Apron. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, oh, fuck, I should have uh, gotten the higher premium so I don't get the adverts. This is bullshit. I really think, I love how we've now created like a monetary service. I love this. And I'm going to follow this news story so closely because just the idea that there are people out there with just a bunch of snails. I also love the idea of being able to uh, 
get specific memories. So for, for everyone listening, go to our Facebook page and share with us which memories that you would like to, if you could access them, that you would love to upload and be able to experience. And what is your best memory that you think other people would want to see? Like, if you could upload something, what is your one memory that you're like, you got to see this? Oh, yeah. There's a couple of meals that I have, I've had over the years that I would definitely upload so people could really enjoy it. I, was gonna, I just, yeah, that, that'd be it. It's kind of like hacking into Justin Hamilton. He's a real good pastor. I'd have a whole subsection. There'd be food. There'd be, you know, experiences of watching sport. There'd be heaps. No, I'm, I'm totally into this and I'm, I'm, I'm up for it. I was against it, but I've come around, especially if we can monetize it and we thought of this first, hashtag trademark. I actually finished my um, law PLT two days ago. So I'm now qualified to be admitted as a lawyer and I will let you all know that if you steal our idea... <laughs> I'll sue you. If, if you monetize memories without us, you're coming after them. Time to welcome Dave Anthony to the podcast. And once again, I apologize for the audio quality. But as I said, there was a hot second when I thought there might not be any audio on my side of things, so this still feels like a super win. If you haven't heard of Dave before, and I figure if you listen to this podcast, you have undoubtedly heard him as a guest on Fofop, or you listen to his sensational podcast that he produces with Gareth Reynolds, The Dollop. I love Dave. I'm super excited to have him on the show today, so let's get to it. So I've been enjoying your Instagram posts. I don't know if you enjoy recording them, but I enjoy watching them. <laughs> and you, you, there's so many times where you say things that I feel like I can completely relate to. And specifically in a recent one, it was about the lack of history being taught. And yeah. because history isn't taught, that's why we keep making these same mistakes. And it's it's great to hear someone else say it and it's also depressing because you think, oh, no, I must be correct on this to a certain extent because someone else is saying it and maybe it could have just been my paranoid mind eating away at me. No, I think it's um, it's something I picked up from Chris Hedges, who is a, who's a writer. Uh, he's a journalist and he, he spent a lot of time in Yugoslavia as it was falling apart. And I think the Ukraine. Um, and so he's been talking about Christian fascism for a long time. Uh, I think he was right. I think that's what it is. I think he was wrong on a couple things, but um, but I think he's pretty spot on. And he always brings up like teaching correct history is the best way to fight fascism. And I think that's spot on. The more I get into it, the more I realize, oh, both sides don't know history both sides don't know how this happens. And then you think, I don't know what it's like in Australia, but in America, we aren't taught how his, how fascism happens. We were just taught. And then there was Hitler. Right. Yes. The buildup isn't there. And so if you don't know what the buildup is, well, how do you know what Hitler was? Yeah. And it's also means that when, you know, as in your previous experience with Trump, which from the outside, especially here, people were like, oh, this is the funniest thing we have ever seen. I remember I was working on commercial radio at the time and like three days out before the election, they were like, all right, 
let's get these segments together that are going to be celebrating him losing the election. And I remember at the time saying, let's just wait a second because Mm -hmm. I don't have a lot of faith in what you're believing. And then the absolute shock when he won the election was flabbergasting to me. Yeah. So I had a different experience than most people in that in the morning of the election, I was working on a commercial in Texas and I woke up and I went through my Instagram and I unfollowed every woman I knew to be political and a democratic uh, supporter because I knew how dark it was going to be on their feeds. And I didn't want to watch them uh, crying or whatever was going to happen. And then um, the day of the election, I filmed the commercial. I went back to my hotel. It was a two day shoot. And um, I told my wife, I said, I don't tell me because I want, I want to be able to get sleep. I know he's going to win, but I don't want to know. I don't want that confirmed. So I, and I had to get up early. I had to get up like 5 a.m. or something. So I had to go to bed early. And I just said, I said, I don't, yeah, so don't tell me. So she called me up around 9 to say goodnight. And my son yells out from the back, Trump won. <laughs> and I was just like, I fucking knew it. I fucking knew it. I fucking knew it. And Mark Maron sent me a text. And he was like, are you happy? Are you happy you're right? And I'm just like, no, I'm not happy I'm right. <laughs> No, that's the thing. It's like just because you predict something doesn't mean you want it to happen. No, I don't at, at all fucking want it to happen. I know, you know, there. And that's such a weird conversation now because I've, ha- I've had this with many people on the left. It's actually why uh, I like Sam Cedar and I stopped speaking and I don't like him anymore because of this, because of when I talk about it after that, there's no nuance in the discussion. The discussion isn't. If I say this is why Trump won, people get mad at me and act like I'm giving reasons why not to vote for why people shouldn't have voted for Clinton. But in reality, I'm saying this is why people didn't vote for Clinton. Can we look at them? Yeah. And that's just all gone. It, that's why the election was so close again, because no one wants to identify the systemic horrific problems in this country and what led to a candidate like Clinton and a candidate like Trump at the same time. It was, it was a, it was a failure on the side on both sides that allowed that to happen. But you can't say that, right? It's just all Trump bad, everyone else good. And it's like, okay, I don't know what to do. Oh, this is how fascism happens. (laughs) Right. Yeah. This is how it uh, gets into power. Yeah. This is the part that we didn't get taught in school, right? Now this is the part that everyone's just kind of running blindly around trying to figure it out and blaming other people. And there's roadmaps, you know, there's Mussolini. There's a really good podcast called um, behind the insurgents. God, I think it's called behind the insurgents. Let me look it up. Um, But uh, this, this uh, journalist in um, America who lives up in the Northeast. So that's sort of where the, I would say that's where the battle against fascism has been happening for 25 years you know that's where they had the the fights against the you know new world order organizations and the g10 and all that shit um so he came up with a he came up he does a podcast called behind the bastards and then he did which is similar to the dollop right and then he did behind behind the insurrections which which teaches people what led to fascism in all these different countries and then a couple places where it was stopped i haven't listened to them all yet but he goes through mussolini which i think is the most important 
he goes through Spain, you know, so he goes through them all. And, and that's what we need to know. Like that's, if you can get your head around that stuff, then I think you, I think we can beat this, but I don't see anybody trying to <laughs> figure it out. I just don't. Yeah. And why do you think people don't want to uh, do the hard yards and figure out what is the inspiration for it? Because it, it seems, it just seems easy. Like there's a shorthand to just say, that's buffoonery. And when you look back at Mussolini and when you look back at Hitler and you see the video footage of them, it does look like buffoonery, but it was obviously yeah. effective and it obviously led to an awful situation. So wh- why is it so illogical to look at something and not try to work out how it came into being? Well, I think for us, for America in, in particular, and I think fascism always changes. I think it's always, it's, it seems to be a, it morphs into a new thing for each country. But um, I think for us, it's American exceptionalism. I think that on both sides, I think Democrats and Republicans truly believe this is the greatest country on earth and that we don't do wrong and all this shit that's just, you know, a- absolute fucking fallacy. Like, it's just like we, we, we were born from slave owning you know a genocidal nightmare like it's not it's not great and they and and the systemic nightmare that comes out of that um so so i think for us it's it, it really could that that for me that got blown apart when i was 16 i started reading books when i was in high school and i was just like oh none of this is real like nothing we're being taught is actually the truth I think most people haven't gone through that. And to get there, you have to sort of now, especially if you're older, like if you're a boomer, forget about it. Like, are you going to go back and re- revisit all of the, well, you're complicit in the mistakes. You're complicit in voting for all those people and supporting them. So you really have to turn on yourself. It's a psychological battle that you have to wage to get to the point where you're like, oh, this is all wrong. And I know some people are getting there. I definitely talk, you know, I live in the suburbs. So I definitely talk to people that are just like, this is just fucked and, none of this is working um so they're out there but it's really it's a like my wife went through it in the past and imagine that imagine living with me (laughs) for you know we've been living together since 2000 almost and and she still didn't get there until 2016 like she didn't get there certainly i would say 2015 because during the election she was just like hillary's just the worst oh but i don't have another option and she couldn't even talk to her friends anymore. And so she kind of started talking to me a little bit more. But I mean, imagine living with me and still not getting there. It's because there's a big block. Like you don't want it to be true. Yeah. You just uh, every fiber of your being is just sort of tied up in this shit. You know, it's really indoctrination. Like we're a great example of like just the education we get and all the stuff we're told all the time. Like we're just awesome. We're just the most awesome. And anybody who lives outside of America is like, no, you're literally the worst country on fucking earth. Like you're a goddamn nightmare. And so, and so, but we live in comfort and everything seems fine in our suburbs and other places. So it's just very, it's just a really deep rooted personal thing you have to go through. And that's hard. Do you think there is uh, signs of improvement in uh, in the education system? Like, uh, I know this is only like, yeah, you're shaking your head. <laughs> I, I try to cling on to things like when I saw that, uh, you know, uh, schools in Oklahoma were finally teaching the, the story of what happened in uh, the, the Black Wa- uh, Wall Street massacre and thought, oh, well, that's, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, that's a good thing. Like, that's a step yeah. forward, but I guess that's one of millions of steps that need to be taken forward, right? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I think the problem with our schools, you know, after the Civil War, and a lot of this comes out of the Civil War, too, you know, after the Civil War, this thing called the Daughters of the, Daughters of the Confederacy was born. And they were a group, as they sound, daughters of the soldiers who fought in the Confederacy, mostly the leaders and, you know, the the top people of the Confederacy. But they formed a group and it was essentially a propaganda group. And they they're the ones who built all those statues that you saw taken down. The daughters of the Confederacy went around and it was a propaganda machine for 100 years. And they and it. It infected school books, it infected magazines, it infected everything. Like they rewrote the history of of those people. And those people were fascists. I mean, if you look at the Confederacy and you labeled it now, well, that's fascism. Yeah. So so they they are still they that that particular group, they still have an effect. Like they're not actually doing what they did back in the day, but they've just gone into other places and they've just spread their their disease around. So so now when you want to get textbook in schools, it's just con- convoluted system where they have to be approved by the states and the states with the biggest power are Texas and California. So there's always a giant battle between what's going to go in the textbooks because will California buy them or Texas buy them. Yeah. And it ends up being this sort of watered down, not telling you the truth bullshit. So it might get implemented here and there, but the problem is so much bigger. I, I always go back to when I was working on a TV show, you know, there was just recently this giant push to get black writers in the room. And it's like, yeah, great. But then we had a black writer in the room. She was from Georgia. Um, she was educated at mostly white schools. And we started talking about the Civil War for some reason. And she said it wasn't about slavery. It was about states' rights. And I was just like, wow, fuck. So there, so our, 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 you know, our push for diversity has now produced this, which if I think if you, if you went around and talked to most black people, I think probably 95 percent of them would say it was about slavery and then we found the five percent and then you're just like what the fuck is this yeah like what the fuck is this like oh because it's not you're not actually seeking diversity based on class like we're not going and picking someone out of poverty you're finding a a a privileged black person essentially in a way right And, and so it's just this the whole system and then you realize, well, where'd that come from? Well, the agency found her. Where'd the agency find her? At her fancy school. Oh, so now here's, is the agency going to go to a community college or a, a, a kid who doesn't even have an education? They just got out of high school and doesn't want to go to college, can't afford it. Are they looking at his scripts? They're not. So the whole, the entire system, everywhere you looked is just, it's just constructed incorrectly. Yeah. And people are more uh, inclined to, well, we've checked that box rather than, yeah look further into it i'm also fascinated by the way the the right or the conservative right i should say always over time takes the the arguments and the movements of the left and then reconfigure them to be their argument and like as an example on uh, our abc instagram page here there was a a story about a labor senator penny wong and someone had written something awful just awful underneath and at the end wrote this is a typical example of the way the abc pandas to the labor party but they spelt panda p-a-n-d-a and within (laughs) seconds within seconds people were just putting up gifts of kung fu panda and you know pandas rolling around sniffing their own assholes all that kind of stuff and then this guy comes in and says hey where, where's the moderator? Like I'm being bullied here. And it's like, <laughs> no, mate, no, mate. 
you're a fucking idiot. That's what you're being told. So it's it's so amusing to be able to watch the the right turn everything into victimization when they're the instigators. Yes. The, the exact same thing just happened yesterday on uh, our town's Facebook page because they're trying to open up schools here. And some guy wrote a post and said, teachers are lazy and they don't give a shit. And then everyone started attacking him. And then he went into another Facebook group and said he's being bullied. And I'm like, no, you're you're being a dick. Like, yeah. you're the fucking bully. <laughs> <laughs> That's what happens to bullies. You fight back against a bully. You don't then get to say, oh, geez, where's this all coming from? This is a bit full on. Uh, it's, yeah, it's it's crazy. It yeah. really is crazy to watch. It's just, but it, and you can't, and then how do you fight that? You're just like, I don't know what to do right now. It, and it comes back to what you said earlier. They're fucking dumb. I mean, you know, fascists are dumb people. Yeah. It, they just are. And so you're trying to fight stupidity and, and how do you fight just dumb? Yeah. And especially in an era where anything that is remotely coherent gets reduced to an anti-intellectualism. And therefore, it's a dismissiveness of, well, that's the elite talking down to us, the real people. And you're like, no, that person can put three sentences together correctly. (laughs) That that doesn't make them elite. That just means they're, you know, normal. They know how to talk properly. But then we both have the same problem in both of our countries where there is a, 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 a elite that is just to the left of center Mm. that are well-educated and and dismissive of the left and the right Mm. and they are a problem because they are the ones that come out of privilege and everything else and they're and they're in in america they're definitely controlling the narrative you know they're the people you see on cnn they're the people you see on on msnbc and those are the people who aren't investigating what causes fascism those are the people just screaming bad person yeah and not going into the root of it. So, and then also in America, we do have a problem. Like, I mean, look at the Simpsons. The Simpsons has been on for how like 30 some odd years. Yeah. And they still have that white trashy couple. Right. 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 So that's the elites telling everyone else to fuck off. Yeah. And it's, it's a problem. It's everywhere. I mean, once you start trying to identify it, you're just like, Ugh, here we go again. I mean, for you guys, uh, it would be calling everybody. Oh God, uh, bogans, right? Bogan, I mean, yeah. I think it's. Uh, I think it's the same sort of level as white trash here. I think it's a, probably the exact same thing. And at some point, you're just like, how much is that pissing everybody off? Oh yeah. How? Yeah. It it gets in at, at such a level that people don't realize. It's funny. I was. I very rarely watch Saturday Night Live, but uh, Regina King was on, and I like. Regina so I was curious to to be honest I was curious to see what scripts they'd give her (laughs) that's sometimes when I really like someone (laughs) I'm like what are you doing to this person this person's talented Uh, and and you know she was great all the way through it but there was this really fascinating sketch that I was watching where it was uh most of the African-American uh performers on the on the show and Regina and they were making fun of the sketch revolved around the, the girl with the gorilla glue stuck to her. Oh, head. yeah. And, you know, you're watching this and there's this part of you that's like, in the current situation in America that I am well across because it's in all of my feeds and, you know, 
I, I follow a lot of uh, American pop culture and sport. So this feels really tone deaf because this is essentially <laughs> you saying, we've all got to stand by each other. We've all got to protect each other. And by the way, this person's a fucking idiot. And how good is this a, for a five minute sketch? It's yeah. I mean, you're exactly right. That's exactly. And that, and that's true. And again, here we can go with this story. So the reason that black women in America put glue in their hair is because of racism that, that, you know, there's been many studies. If a black woman goes to an interview with their hair, just natural, say she just gets out of the shower, she leaves her hair, she goes to work or goes to an, uh, 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 any sort of interview or anything. She has far less chance of getting that job than she does. If her hair is down flat, right now, think about the poverty aspect of that. So, so now women who can't afford to do that in a salon, well, they started putting glue in their hair to keep it down. So glue is a very common way. I wouldn't say common, but for, for people who can't afford it, it's been used over time quite a bit to keep your hair flat, to appease white people, to do better in society. And so now this woman puts Gorilla Glue on her hair and then everyone's laughing at her and you're like, Jesus fucking Christ, no one knows anything. Yeah. Like no one knows where that came from. I, I read it when I first read it and I saw it on Twitter. I was just like, God, this is just gross. These people going after her. And it's like, at least a lot, there were a lot of people that stood up and I think that was better than the old days. But again, now you go back to this elite class of people who are like people on Saturday Night Live. They have no idea. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, no it's the cheap gag, you know? Oh, we need an yeah. idea. We need to churn out content. Oh, well this will do. Yeah, I mean, this will do. Everyone's laughing at her, and and then, but then, but then, you just think about how many women out there who put glue on their hair who relate to that, and they're like, "Fuck, man." Yeah, that yeah. could have been me copying all of that as well. I, I, I do try to find uh, positives in the world just to keep some you have to. sanity. So uh, I listen. Much to your chagrin, I still follow the NBA. <laughs> I still, <haven't, laughs> I still. I'm haven't. not sure if it's. I gotta say, I will say this: I'm not sure it's fixed anymore. Just having watched it uh, recently, I think they backed off of that shit. Yeah, right. Thank you. That's good because I've look. Although, I've, although some people said, some people said the last, the last, uh, the the bubble one that they did, the LeBron one. Right. Some people said the series before the one he got in there, everyone was like, well, this is ridiculously fixed. <laughs> but who oh, knows? right. Who knows? That was uh, it, that was such a weird uh, situation. And uh, yeah, but um, I've noticed in the sporting podcast language changing. And so funnily enough, because the NBA has been, uh, from my perspective, a progressive league, it was like I kind of knew that COVID was going to be a bad thing here well before it became mainstream because of NBA podcasts when they were talking about what they might have to do mm. and what might happen. And when that shut down, you know, when Goldberg got that uh, positive test and it shut down immediately, I was in Adelaide going, well, nothing's happening here. That's a billion-dollar <laughs> industry. There's no Melbourne Comedy Festival. And I'm going to go home and not see anyone for 11 weeks. Okay, I'm, I'm good to go. But one of the things I've noticed in the language of the way they talk is uh, – uh, Kyrie Irving, who plays for Brooklyn Nets, just for a couple of weeks didn't play and just was off doing other things. And the, I feel like the language six months ago would have just been hammering that guy. But this time, every conversation was couched with, 
well, we don't know what's going on in his personal life. So let's not discuss that and let's just discuss this from a basketball point of view. And I just, I'm holding on to that as a sign that maybe there's a level of decency returning to mainstream discourse, possibly, potentially, fingers crossed. I mean, you say that, we say that, and I think... Uh, there may be that. I, I don't know what this, I don't think anybody knows what this is going to look like because everything's breaking right now. American society is, is bra- I, I don't think people recognize it for what it is, particularly for me, this has been the hardest time because of what they're doing to schools. Like this is where I'm just like, I'm at the end of my rope. Um, and you know, I've had friends die and I've had a family member die and it's been a really a fucking terrible pandemic. Like it's for me personally, even though I was able to move away for five months, I'm still in it. And um, and I don't know if I, I see on the left and I'm very disappointed in, I think when people are freaking out, I think you got to give them some space. We've been locked down for a year. Some of us, some of us have been living our lives like nothing's happening and, and spreading a virus, but a bunch of us have been locked down and people are losing their fucking shit here. And I think you have to go, we're in pandemic times and this guy that's why i left twitter i was just i was watching it and i was like fuck can't people just have a fucking break and lose their shit yeah and i watched it happen with a few people and and there were bigger cases like jimmy Dore, you know lost his shit on a politician that caused a big rift and then um there was also this guy bean dad and everyone went crazy over that and and then i was watching like people i just started watching people attacking the worst one for me was camille nanjiani um put a picture of himself eating some food and he's all jacked because he's had to work out for this marvel movie and he's fucking jacked out of his mind and i talked to him a couple times online and he's just got to stay in it and and people just started attacking him for his face looked and i'm just like fuck man some dude can't even put up a photo in the pandemic yeah without just getting fucking ruthlessly attacked yeah is that really what that's what we are so i I guess i guess from my perspective i see a little bit less and it's nice to see to hear you're seeing more i I hope so i i think there's going to be a huge reckoning of what we want to be when this is over i don't think the politicians quite understand what's coming their way I mean, Texas, the schools, people have fucking had it. I mean, people are really just like, this is crazy. And I don't know what everyone I talk to wants to leave. No one wants to live here. Yeah. But it's your, it's your culture. It's your society. So you're in this weird place, but nobody wants to be a part of it anymore. And if no one wants to be a part of it, then it has to change. Right. Well, that's what you would think. (laughs) (laughs) i I saw i saw the stuff about uh ted cruz leaving texas for you know because everything was a bit and uh brian williams came back with a vengeance with the uh did you see his quote there's two types of i didn't see his quote (laughs) two types of people the people who hate ted cruz and ted cruz That's a great one. <laughs> nice to have a bit of redemption yeah, so, for Brian Williams. So until until Ted Cruz is is, I mean, the, look, that fucker should be deported. Let's not even talk about him. He he should have his citizenship taken away. Like that's how fucking bad of a person he is. Yeah, and he's still in office and he's still doing his shit. 
um, until he's out of office and just sort of drummed out of society and living in a fucking shitty hotel somewhere. I don't know. Cause that like, how, 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 how much do people to the Texas thing is really fucked. Like it's fucked beyond words. Yeah. And that's all the right wings doing it's, as much as I don't like Democrats. That is all the right wings doing. I mean, just killing people. Yeah. And uh, and then he goes on a fucking vacation because they can. Yeah, yeah, they can. So they go. So everything's all right. It's. I saw the episode of John Oliver this week where they showed footage, and it was insane. It was ten years to the day when they were saying we need to do something about this energy grid because we could be in trouble uh, if we have this kind of situation arise to the, again. To the day. To the day. <laughs> wish there was a warning yeah <laughs> but he had 10 years this is bullshit <laughs> i mean you guys have deregulation issues there right the yeah. scott morrison's of the world it's really yeah. fucking dangerous and and you can just really point at america and go there's your example like i think they did a study and it was like not only did it cost taxpayers 56 billion dollars over those 10 years since they started deregulating but on top of that all these people are dying like it's just yeah. like it seems like it's not a great it's not working out great yeah we're, we're great i mean people in australia should really be using the collapse of america as like proof that there's one way to do things and there's one way not to do things well, I would like to think that as well, but I have <laughs> little faith here in things. I was surprised at, I've been fascinated because we've been really lucky here because we live on a giant island and everything went terribly yeah. all over the rest of the world. And we were in a position where even though our politicians got to it slowly, we had that buffer and Melbourne's, yeah. pro- Melbourne's had the worst of it. They Victoria was essentially in lockdown for about four months which i mean you you did get you did you you were smart at the beginning I and mean, you had you know that those couple of cruise ships that could have been the end yeah australia it really could have yeah when our when our people got off cruise ships everybody just let them walk around but you guys actually traced them yeah so you did have science working in your favor you did have you you did have um an infrastructure to stay on top of this and obviously there's been some hilarious mishaps uh you know it's whatever uh security guards making out with people with covid and stuff like that but yeah like well you know who would have thought that could turn out bad <laughs> sharing sharing threats for the yeah. an affected person what could have gone wrong <laughs> you know we, we've we've also had like uh my hometown of adelaide went into a, a lockdown like really hard really quick which was great and then it just turned out the guy was lying and oh it, that's right the pizza guy that yeah, was the, the pizza guy <laughs> he said but why was he lying was he just trying to get out of work or something he, he was probably not meant to be there and getting paid cash in hand and who knows <laughs> and he probably lied and then saw everything going down and went uh look <laughs> we need to talk and and it was funny people like people in Adelaide were really angry. They're like, oh this is bullshit you know can't believe we shut down and all of this and now I've missed out on this and this and I was like you know what's a good result? The guy was lying. That's actually a good yeah. result because it means it's yeah. not there and it's funny and we can all look back on that and go, oh, fuck, remember when a Woodville pizza was dangerous? Like that's a better scenario. And my, my fear here is that people, 
it's it's amazing when they complain about being in lockdown or having to wear masks or things being difficult or, you know, like I've had work constantly booked and cancelled, booked and cancelled and that. Yeah. And then I just look overseas and I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> Everything's okay. I mean, look, if you want to complain about wearing a mask, take your fucking mask off, get on a plane and go live in New York or Los Angeles or Florida. Yeah. Just go fucking live there because it's mask free country in a lot of these places. You just go and live your little mask free life. If you want to live that life, go. There's places to live. But in a yeah. society where it's all it's all buttoned up pretty much fuck off put the fucking mask on you giant baby do you walk do you walk into restaurants with with no fucking pants on and shit on the floor you put on a fucking mask asshole you're not shitting on the floor because it's bad for everybody's death so put on a fuck mask you giant baby i mean what's i just can't get over it I yeah it's mask but then i have to breathe in my own fuck off yeah yeah you also breathe in covid you jackass like fuck you God, you know they're just so dumb i just can't we're literally saying this because we want you to live. That's what we're saying. That's yeah. That's I mean, <laughs> my sorry. <laughs> my favorite American. There were there were two during uh, at the end of last year, and it was the woman in Congress in Florida who <laughs> equated, "I don't wear a mask for the same reason I don't wear underwear. Shit's gotta breathe." <laughs> and you go, uh, "Well, unless your vagina is sneezing COVID, uh, you don't have to wear underwear." <laughs> And then there was the the guy, the Trump supporter wearing the Trump hat, who was so sincere as well while he's being interviewed. He said, I know COVID is a real thing. COVID is a real thing. And people saying that it isn't, uh, they're wrong because my best friend got COVID and died and his son ended up on a ventilator at 15 and I have seen the effects of it. But just because the Democrats tell me to wear a mask, I'm not wearing a mask. Like, but what about all that evidence you just told us about that you saw, it's, that you experienced? Yeah. But the thing that you saw, not worth it. It's called freedom, baby. Freedom. <laughs> it's just the freedom to just die in a bed alone. That's the freedom I want. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, and we've gone through so many different sort of levels. I mean, at first there was the, we were angry we were locked down then it's like we're not going to wear masks and it just it just it kept it kept creeping forward till now we're at the point where everybody just gave up yeah liberals everybody everybody the democrat everyone just kind of gave up and now and now biden came in and he does a he does a meeting with uh with you know a bunch of people and he tells a two-year-old girl that she can't get covid and it's just like Okay, so this is your guy who believes in science. Right. <laughs> now he's just lying to children on, on TV. Uh, the whole push to open schools is all Democrats, and it's all based on, you know, just sort of bullshit. It, it's really just, I hope this is fine stuff. It, it's just, it, it's really, you know, and everyone's just like, I'm just tired. I'm just exhausted. I don't want to do this anymore. So yeah. they're starting to go out and do things again. And I think it's under control in LA right now, but the minute it was under control, they said, our numbers are diving. Everything's really good. Then we had this massive traffic jam on a Sunday coming back from Vegas, which is yeah. what used to happen before COVID. Every week driving back from Vegas, the highway is packed. It's a two-lane highway. And it's just bumper to my track. And it happened again. I'm like, oh, everyone's going back to their lives. There was just up, up the street from me, the next town over. It was a giant indoor buffet, some sort of event on uh, uh, yesterday. And it's like... Okay, so we're going to do it again. 
<laughs> yeah. Kick it all off again. Cause everyone's tired. They don't want to do it. You have a combination of tired people and you have a combination of, of people who don't believe in it. And it's just a, I, and then I don't know how many people are like me in my family. I, I have no, it used to be like 60%, but I, I bet it's down to like 30, just locked in your house. Yeah. Barely, and I, and I'm vaccinated so I can go out now. It's just like, but what do I do? Right. Yeah. Where do you go? Who do you want to see? Yeah. Yeah, I don't like I'm going to start, you know, I've, I've got invitations like I'm probably going to go over to Jonah's house and I haven't drank since this started. I don't like right. to drink in, alone in my house or, you know, just sit around getting drunk. So Jonah Ray's like, come over, man, let's get drunk. And but then it's just going to we're going to talk about our friend that died. Like it's a, it's just, yeah. you know what I mean? The whole yeah. thing is just like, Jesus fucking Christ. When is there just a <laughs> can I have one rainbow? Yeah. And I, and I really, I, I spent five months surfing. Like I went and I learned how to surf. Like I, I took this time to do something that I thought was really good for myself. And I'm still just fucking frazzled. I didn't, I haven't, I have not lived the life that other Americans had. I had a nice five month break. Right. So people have been doing this for really in it. Like I, I, I got away and people who are in this fuck, you know, I'm surprised everyone's not crazy. And I see people twisted posting every once in a while. Like I'm really, I'm barely hanging in there. Yeah. You know? And it's hard to know what to say. Oh, keep, it is. keep, keep hanging. Keep, <laughs> just tweet, tweet your way through it. Tweet your way through it. <laughs> oh my God. Uh, so one of the things that I try to do is it, when, when all the lockdown happened here, I, I really suppressed the urge to create because I don't know if you had noticed as well, but there seemed to be suddenly a lot of, it's the quarantine cast and you're going. Yeah, yeah. I know. I totally thought of the same thing. I was like, oh, I'm not going to go into this because everyone's going to write the same thing. <laughs> and I, I, I pushed it down. I pushed it down and I just set myself little goals like, um, like all creative as well. Like I listened to every album by Roxy Music and Brian Ferry in sequential order. <laughs> and I now have firm views on when it's okay to whistle in a pop song. Like it's... Yeah. <laughs> I just yeah. put my head into the arts and uh, creativity and that's kind of where this podcast... Because this podcast started off as a... Uh, it, it was originally pitched as an after show for Watchmen here. and uh, Oh, yeah, that's right. And that's, I, had yeah. a, I had a firm uh, feeling that this was going to be seismic and uh australian uh, tv did not agree with me so that's fine <laughs> so it's probably better i made it as a podcast and then <laughs> it evolved now you know what they did they said to me oh, our our game of thrones after show didn't work and i and i made the mistake because you know men in your mid to late 40s who have been in the industry for a while just don't give a fuck anymore and i said hey you know what your problem with your after show was you had an after show in the final season and <laughs> what Dill and Limo think it's about right though. Yeah. Who, who cares what they think? Because <laughs> I've never heard them talk about it in my personal life. So why am I going to tune into this? You know, anyway, they did not see it. That it's way. also, it's also not good. <laughs> the reason talking dead worked is because the after show, it didn't just, it doesn't, you don't just talk about zombies and stuff. Zombies is a thing that just, Oh, my headphones just went. Oh no, it's good. Um, uh, it's, it's zombies are a thing that is about all of society. I mean, the original yeah. zombies are about capitalism, right? And you right. Know, uh, 
the, the second zombie Romero zombie movie is them going to the mall. Like, so it just explores other things. But I, I, to me, I loved, um, uh, God, the one you're just talking about um, that they tried to do. No, the, the one they tried. Oh, to the do. game of Thrones. The game of Thrones. I loved yeah. game of Thrones, uh, but it didn't, it was not a show I wanted to talk about a lot. No. Whereas, whereas the Watchmen, I didn't see it, but just gathering what people talked about, it explored other issues and, and, and was about a larger thing. The Watchmen in itself, the original uh, novel is, is about the world and, and how, yeah. how, what things are, but Game of Thrones was never that. So to me, the Watchmen would be a much better thing to start a, a, an after show about. Yeah, I think so. To, look, to be honest, I was grateful it didn't turn into a TV show because after I spent three hours on the first seven minutes of the opening episode where I was having to, you know, I had to go back to that dollop episode about Bass Reeves. I had to look into ah. the, <laughs> I had to look into the uh, Black uh, uh, Wall Street Massacre. Uh, yeah. And it was also all in this first seven minutes, it was a subversion of the Superman mythology of a young boy seeing uh-huh. his world destroyed and his parents. Uh, yeah. Died. But he's, he's a young African-American kid looking at wall street burning down. And I was three hours into working out how I'm going to talk about this seven minutes thinking I've really <laughs> taken on a lot here, <laughs> but it was great. because There was heaps to dig into. But, yeah, uh, and, that, and that's that's not for Game of Thrones. It's not that at all, you know. <laughs> no. you, you just go like, "Oh no, that guy used to be married to that guy, and now he's and then they killed him." Anyway, yeah. so now let's go. Yeah, and the auntie and the nephew. That's all right. Like normally, it'd be weird, right. but they're they're hot, so it's good. <laughs> 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 Next topic. <laughs> that, but, that, that's actually good. I, that's actually a good point that I think should be made for hot incest is much better than ugly incest. Yeah, that is. Uh, that's always been my stance, and I'm I'm glad that people are finally coming around. It was a it was a tough couple of years to bring. <laughs> uh, so what I've been doing with this podcast is trying to uh, you know celebrating different arts and entertainment and finding things that people can uh, experience that they can either enjoy or help broaden their view. And speaking about what we've been uh, discussing with the rise of fascism and stuff like that, do you have suggestions of things that uh, people can watch or listen to that can broaden that view and educate them and entertain, I guess? Yeah. Like I said, Chris Hedges is a really big thing. And behind the insurrections is also, those are the two things that I've actually been recommending to people as of late, uh, as far as, TV and films, um, the plot against America. Oh yeah, well, that's it's very so good. interesting. It's it's that's a really fascinating. I never read. Have you ever read the original story? No, I haven't. I haven't either, and I I, I wonder. I hear it's you know fairly faithful. It's a strange. It's a strange idea. I that, to me, it's always fascinating about how you can make ideas that are that out there work and i think the only way it works is if people whether they are conscious or unconscious of it think oh yeah we could be fascist right yeah if you if you can't even fathom that you're sitting there watching this going what is this is this a farce right (laughs) yeah (laughs) but you have to somewhere in your fiber of being there has to be a truth to that idea that like oh yeah america could be fascist yeah. And I also think watching it 
you know, seeing how, you know, black people are treated and everything. Not that different from reality. Right. The uh, the character that I found the most fascinating in uh, that series, and I'm drawing a blank on the actor's name, it's the character that Winona Ryder's, uh, oh, John Turturro, who is the Jewish rabbi, who really buys into Lindenberg. Yeah. That. And isn't that, a, that's a fascinating character and that's real. I mean, that, that happens and you can see that in America. You can, it's very funny to when you talk to proud boys or whatever, and they say like, well, he, he can't be a Nazi. He's black. And you're like, yeah. okay, so let's talk about history. <laughs> there were, there were, there were some black Nazis. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Um, there's people who, who fall completely in, and then there's people like the Turturro character who have sort of convinced themselves that this is the right way to go and it's the wrong way to go. And then, and then as the truth creeps in on them, they're like, Oh fuck. Oh fuck. Yeah. What did I do? Yeah. Oh fuck me. I really made a bad choice. And I think those people are really real. And I think that, you know, I, I, it's based on I, the, the guy he's pushing for is Lindbergh. Lindbergh was a Nazi. Yeah. Like, and that's another thing, you know, that brings us back to America reckoning with itself. His name should be mud everywhere. And it's not, we still, if you tell a school child in America, if you say, what did Lindbergh do? He'll say, Oh, he flew the plane across the Atlantic. He was the first one not. And then he tried to get fascism going in America. <laughs> like yeah. that's, that's just like left off the whole fucking thing. Yeah. Uh, and I think it's great that a show went and, you know, sort of muddied his name and and put him out there as like a terrible person because he he was. David Simon might be the only reason I stay on Twitter. <laughs> 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 his, his feed is inspiring. <laughs> was my feed not inspiring? Well, you're not there anymore. <laughs> I'm not there anymore. I had to go and find you on Instagram. Uh, yeah, and the and the way that the uh, younger son is converted into being Ooh. a fan, and it's just such a it's such an amazing six part series. And also, uh, I, for people who haven't seen it, I don't want them to think it's like awful to be watching it all the way through. There's moments of levity. There's there's, yeah. there's funny moments. It's it's a very human kind of story. But the way you see it slip in and then you have a random conversation with someone and then they just say something that's a little bit, you know, justified in their eyes. And the, but you think, oh, here we go. Here comes this slippery slope into something that we're not going to be able to reconcile as friends anymore. <laughs> yeah. And then it also has the hopeful side of, you know, they're getting these essentially they're 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 seeing these newsreels from another time or another universe, it seems like. And they're seeing hope. Like there's, there's a better world in some of those. There's also a worse world. So it's sort of fascinating that, that you know, it's, I guess it's Philip K Philip K Dick's way of saying, even though you're in this nightmare, there's actually a possibility of a better world, you know? Yeah. The, uh, it's interesting. I'll, I'll leave you uh, in a sec, but the, uh, uh, Ed Brubaker put out a graphic novel called Pulp recently, and in it there was uh, the it was set around I think like 1938 when you had the or 1939 when there was the Nazi rally at Madison Square Garden. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, and someone wrote in saying, 
hey, I thought this was great, but that was over the top. And <laughs> in, in his newsletter, he was so polite and so understanding. And he just, here's, here's the news stories that, you know, not quite as out there. And I, I think it's, I, it's dangerous to not realise that this stuff could be bubbling up in your own backyard. It doesn't mean you're not a patriot. It doesn't mean you don't love your country. But sometimes you've got to turn around and go, that's not right. And we need to deal with that now. Yeah. The, the, uh, the one thing that I noticed is that people are going, this isn't who we are. And it's like, no, this is exactly who we always have been. Yeah. You know, the Nazis, Hitler loved our laws. Hitler took a lot of what he did from uh, concentration camps. That's all from us. Like we did all this shit. And he learned from it and adapted it. And and it's very fascinating that people don't know that there were, yeah, there was a massive Nazi rally. And we had these German-American buns, which were, you know, pushing the idea of fascism and supporting Hitler. And I, I just don't know what to say anymore. Like, you can't get mad at a person like that because he wasn't taught that in school. So yeah. how are you going to get angry? You're just going to be like, no, this is the reality. I, I don't get I don't actually I tend not to get mad at people who don't know the history because how would they know that? But I get mad at people when they don't know the present right. yeah. <laughs> or or like six months ago. Then I'm like, what the fuck have you been doing that you don't, yeah. don't know that? Yeah, it's uh, and and also like here, you know, the uh, attack on uh, the, the capital was kind of seen as a little bit funny when I'd be talking to people and they'd be like, oh, yeah, that looked crazy, didn't it? And you're like, you know, that was terrifying. Like, that was really <laughs> scary. Oh, okay, yeah. so here's the problem with it. It, it, it is funny. <clears throat> That's the problem with what happened. It is funny. It is, it is funny that a man with uh, animal horns and animal skin, raccoon skins uh, got up on the, the fucking podium in Congress, like it's inherently funny. It's ridiculous. Yeah. And, and all those people were idiots running around. But then there was a legitimate danger. There were militias and there were, you know, just violent racists. They were in there trying to kill people. But it, I'm sorry. People got mad at me, too. And I was like, it's I'm sorry, but it can be dangerous and scary and funny at the same time. If I'm being if I'm being murdered. By a clown. In my head, I'm like, oh, this is just fucking crazy. Like at the yeah. time of being killed, I'm like, this is horrible. But at the same time, what is happening? Yeah. Like it, it gets to be both. It's a human reaction to laugh at the absurdity while it's going on for sure. Yeah. I mean, Trump has always been funny to me. He's yeah. a fucking fascist monster, but I'm sorry. He makes me laugh. And that was actually that was when I knew that we were in trouble is when I'd watch him and I'd laugh. I go, we're in a lot of fucking danger. This guy's really dangerous because he can make, make people laugh. Yeah. That was always, I think the mistake that was made in attacking him, which was people didn't think he was funny. It's like, no, this guy has comic timing and has jokes. Yes. It's just not our, our sense of humor. It, and, you know, too many times, yeah. even with just an ordinary comedian, you go, that person's not funny. And it's like, well, how can you say they're not funny? They're making 20,000 people laugh. It's just not yeah. your sense of humor. And that's what he had going for him. And everyone would try to, when you try to combat jokes with indignant kind of reactions, all you're doing is making that person funnier to his base. Yeah. And, and also he was America's number one touring comedian for four years. Right. He just was. 
if you watched any of his rallies, it wasn't a rally. It was stand-up comedy. He was just doing jokes. Yeah. And, and off the cuff, like he's improvising a lot of the time, but it's just like, how do you fight that? Like, how do you, that's where I think they'll have a problem replacing him because they're going to need a funny dude. And I don't know how many people on the right actually make you laugh. It's, uh, it's not something that's inherent to the <laughs> right. Yeah. It doesn't come naturally to the, it's not inherent to the cuntiness that is the right wing. Yeah. Oh man. So we'll see. We'll see. Like, hopefully things are going in the right direction. I'd love to have you uh, back on, you know, I know you're really busy, but I'd love to have you more uh, on the podcast talking about stuff. But I, I've got something fun for you to finish with that might make oh, you God. laugh. So I was performing in Adelaide a couple of days ago and, you know, gigs are different. People don't yell things out anymore. But towards the end of the gig, someone did yell something out and it was two words and those two words were rum duck. And (laughs) I still get rum duck turning up on social media and spoken about. And, Uh, and so, so thank you. I I love that. Yeah. yeah. Coming up. (laughs) Well, uh, that'll be the first word spoken at your funeral someday. (laughs) That's all. (laughs) Justin Hamilton, rum duck. You may be able to, we may be able to record in person soon because uh, later this year, the plan is to go to Australia for a tour. Oh, that's great. That's great. Yeah, It'd I be guess, so good to see you. Yeah. I mean, it would be good to just live again. Um, let me ask you, how, how were the shows? Were they weird? So it's interesting. So the first gig back, which was the first gig I did back uh, was uh, July last year. And it was funny everyone was performing for the first time. So there was a lot of what is comedy now? What's stand-up comedy going to be like, how does it exist in this world? How do you approach it? And you went out and it turned out comedy was comedy. It was whatever you wanted it to be. If you wanted to talk about being locked away for, in my case, 11 weeks, you could talk about it. But if you wanted to ignore everything that had just happened and do you set, you could do that as well. And it did feel, and it's still feeling this way, I feel like audiences are really engaged and they're also really understanding and uh, giving a lot of love to the staff. Like the staff, mm. when especially when I've emceed and you say a round of applause for all the staff and the crew who are working behind the scenes, you'd always get polite clapping but now it's like, oh, yeah, like, shit, they, they do do the hard work, you know, yeah. for us to get up and talk in the magic sticks that make noise. So that's been interesting. What I've found a bit fascinating is, and I, I don't think there's any right or wrong to this, but I'm a bit fascinated by people who don't really talk about it at all and don't want yeah. to talk about it. And, uh, like, I heard a rumour, I don't know if this is occurring, but I heard a rumour that there's going to be a, a big comedy show in Melbourne with a lot of high-profile acts, and the conceit is let's just do a show as if COVID never happened. And that, to me, it, like as their choice, you, you know, go for it. But for me, the reason stand-up comedy is such a beautiful art form is because we can have a chat now and I can go, you know what? I'm going to talk tonight about this, 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 and this, and you can 
be in the moment. So I don't judge yeah. it, but I find it fascinating. Yeah, it is fascinating. I think there's a, a large group of people and we've gotten that on the podcast. Uh, people saying, look, I don't want to hear a dark subject, so I'm not going to listen. And that's totally acceptable. Yeah. I'm a different kind of person. I, you know, I've gone through every uh, uh, apocalypse movie on Netflix and <laughs> everything that exists, every, every movie about the end of the world. I think I've watched, like, I just, I just handle it in a different way. Like it's just how I do things. So I don't think I could do that. Um, got, you know, congrats to people who can. Yeah. But I also, I want to go on stage and, talk about what I feel like talking about in the moment. And if I, if I want to actually transition from talking about my friend who died to my kid getting a balloon, then that makes sense to me, yeah. but actually self-censoring myself. Yeah. It's odd. I don't know what the objective is. I mean, I guess you just want to ignore it. I guess that that's a, it's just a choice. I think it's a psychological choice. Yeah, Which I think everyone needs to. That's sort of what I want. I guess that circles back to what I said earlier, of like people freaking out, like you got to let them freak out. Other people don't. You got to let them. I think everyone handles it psychologically in a different way and everyone has to have space to do that. It's fascinating here as well, because, you know, comedy's at its best when it punches up. And I don't think there's any art form in Australia that's higher than comedy at this point, like comedians that, you know, are incredibly successful and have all these positions ranging from radio shows uh, to working as faux journalists on newsy type Monday to Friday shows. And they're giving out their opinions on things. And one of the things that I think people don't realize is a core skill of a comedian is to know how to read the room. So a lot of these people will read the room and say the things that they're meant to say, but through COVID and, and lockdowns, truth is slipping through those cracks. And it's yeah. fascinating to me to watch that because A, it's a revelation, but also B, as a comedian, my natural inclination is to punch up. So for me to punch up is for me to punch my friends. And that, <laughs> yeah, I had, I had that realization uh, a while back and I, and I decided I'm just going to punch my friends. Yeah. Um, I, I, for me, it was like, I want a better society. I'm leaving this world for my kid or whatever. And uh, I can't sit by and watch people say and do these things that are not good for the future. Yeah. Yeah. And society, it's just not, I mean, and people might not even get what we're talking about, but it's a, it's a particular way of seeing things like you, I think as an artist, it's very strange. Cause you think in the back of our heads, we're like, we're all the same. We all we're artists. We're very left. We have these ideas and then something like this happens and you go, Oh, we don't all have these ideas. Oh yeah. What? Hang on a second. I'm- <laughs> actually been on an island this whole time <laughs> it's a disaster but you know there was a, there was a crisis down here where a, a venue uh, in australia that has a bad reputation for female comedians feeling comfortable performing at and you know heaven forbid uh, a female comedian said that online and there was this 
shockwave amongst all these male comedians of my generation who were like, I'm performing there. Like, why are you saying this? Why are you doing this? And all I could do as these each person would call me and complain about it, I'd think about, oh, yeah, remember when you did that photo shoot where you painted one nail to stand by women who are in domestic violence situations? Does it, does it only count when there's a photo shoot? Like, why don't you just <laughs> listen to what our colleague and that's what she is why don't you listen to what she has to say rather than complain that oh i'm on this poster for this show and she said all these terrible things and i'm on this poster with nine other guys like how is this a bad thing why don't you just call it and have a have a conversation but i think people would just rather once you get comfortable once you have a certain amount of money you just rather complain and have a bit of a have a drink with your mate and just go, oh, that's bullshit. Oh, that's fucked. Oh, you know, hang on. I'm doing a photo shoot. I stand by this and I stand by that. Oh, there's no cameras. Yeah. Nah. Okay. Whatever. But I'll go and do this (laughs) thing now. And I just made a conscious decision to have less friends. And I have to be honest, Dave, A, I'm happier. And B, that's why I was insistent that you come on this podcast because I needed to talk to you. (laughs) (laughs) It's, it's a really weird, uh, it's a really weird thing with this, this medium we've chosen because you do really get all different types of people. And when you, when you struggle for so long and then you get success, well, you don't want that success to go away. And and so you hear a story and you're like, ah, fuck, I can't, I can't go to that club anymore or I can't hang out with that comedian anymore. And you know, yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of what this is. We're giving voices to people who haven't had the ability to express their voices before. So now you have to fucking listen to them. It's very interesting because we had this whole flare up here in uh, the U S with female comedians who got really mad at male comedians like me. And they started telling their stories and saying, where were you guys during this? And my whole, and I read tons of it. My only thought was I had no idea. Right. But they're mad at me. And I'm like, I didn't know. And they're like, why aren't you speaking out of now? And I'm like, because I didn't know about, I don't know. And if I go out and say, I didn't know, I think I'm going to get more shit than if I tell the honest truth, which is I didn't see any of this. Yeah. Then I think I get more shit and I look like, like there's, it's a no win situation for me. Like I, I hear them. I fully support them. I do everything I can in the future to not do. I can't go back and change anything. Um, Could I have been more aware? I don't know if, people know this but comedians are inherently fucked up people i I spent most of my time in the clubs trying to wade through my own shit on a daily basis right and i and i was rather oblivious to anyone outside of myself i think a lot of comedians are like that that's inherent to what we are and uh it's a really complicated fucking world but again if people are telling you stuff if a woman comes out it's very hard for a woman to come out publicly and state that a place she works at has done something wrong. Let me think about what that means to her. That means she doesn't work there anymore. That means other things might close down to her. Friends of that place might shut her out of business opportunities. It's a big fucking thing to do. So I think that, you know, you have to take that into consideration. I think the uh, other thing to take into account with not knowing things sometimes is there's the, balancing act of being in your own head and working through your own stuff and trying to get yourself ready to 
do this weird uh, profession that we've chosen to do. And then there's often the person in the room who's taking all the oxygen over something that's not important <laughs> as well. And that can yeah. sometimes block out things that are going on in past in the in the shadows, you know, because that person's having a nervous breakdown and all you're doing is going, <laughs> fuck, all right, uh, you couldn't get the car park that you wanted. You know what I'm going to do? I'm going to go further inside and hide until you've been on stage. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, look, that's a funny thing, because as a stand up, you really have to learn to like try to block shit out because you got to focus on your business right now. You're going on stage. You got to learn to try to shut everything out. Yeah, yeah, you're totally right. Like, it's definitely it's a skill we have to come up with. We can't just chat to someone and go, I'm going to walk on stage now and then do something (laughs) like it. You have to be in your head for a little while. And so it can be someone over next to you like, hey, Frank's getting murdered. You're like, I know I'm I'm going on in three. Yeah. I'm doing a new bit and I'm not sure how to end it. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, Dave, it's, um, it's been so great to catch up with you. And uh, as I said, I'd love to have you back. It's, w- people can catch you best in, on the dollop uh, on your Instagram. Do yeah. you prefer that? As a, as a yeah, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going on. T- I, I think I'm done with Twitter. Very interesting process. I went through detoxification. I wish I had done it earlier in the pandemic. Yeah, well, I might be more depressed. I'm not sure which way it's gone. Um, but uh, yeah, it took me about three weeks to not pick up my phone to look at Twitter anymore. I don't do yeah. that anymore. And it's just kind of gone. So yeah, I'm not going back. Um, so you can find me on Instagram or my podcast. I'm going to start a video thing whenever uh, I'm feeling mentally better up for it. But I'm going to start, you know, just doing like YouTube video type shit. Like, yeah. That's where, if you want to hear my gibbering, you can hear it there. I don't know why people want to, but I always have that thing. I'm like, why do you want to listen to me? Yeah, well, the the, the last one that I watched inspired me to get in touch with you. So, you know. <laughs> Which one was it you watched? It was the one that was, uh, it was an, a live Instagram feed and it was the stuff oh. about, you know, history not being taught. And because that had been a a topic where, yeah. you know, I'd been discussing it with some friends, like just a, a little bit flabbergasted with young uh, friends, kids, you know, and them talking about stuff and going, oh, do you not know about this? And then also having the awful realisation there were things I didn't know about. And I was like, hang on, how do I not yeah. know about that? And feeling awkward and embarrassed and then realising this stuff's not being taught properly. Yeah. No, I still, I you know, I, I still, to this day, read stuff all the time that I had no idea about. Absolutely no idea. And yeah. it's all very important. It all fits into a bigger puzzle. And you're just like, fuck, how did I not know that? Like, I, I'm still, I mean, I read history all the time, right? I still constantly find stuff. Yeah. It's really important that I had no fucking idea. We just aren't taught. It's funny. My son was learning about Martin Luther King. And I said, uh, oh, yeah, you know who uh, probably killed him and definitely tried to kill him was uh, FBI. Like they sent him letters to kill himself. They ruined his life. They tried to do everything they could. And the wife's like, what are you doing? He's a kid. I'm like, I know. But what point? Like, yeah. what, what, what age do we start bursting the bubble? She's like, can he just have a little bit of time? I was like, no, I think he should know that the FBI are the bad guys. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's uh, like what well, for his twenty first uh, happy twenty first. I bought you a car <laughs> and look in the glove box and here's a whole lot of information that's going to make you maybe don't read it and then drive. <laughs> 
Well, he definitely already is like anti-cop, like part of that's TikTok, but the other part is just like talking to me. And he's like, so they're beating up protesters. Why? Because the protesters don't want to be killed. He goes, so they don't want to be killed. So they're beating them up. I'm like, yes, yes. He goes, so who's the good guys? I go, the protesters. And so he's definitely, he's definitely now like he, he came up from school when we were still in um, school. He came on one day and he goes, I saw a cop. I didn't look at him. I didn't say anything. I just walked by him. I'm like, good for you. Yeah. Never talk to cops. Never talk to cops. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, that was that was the hard thing of hearing uh, my friends in LA who were, you know, their five, six year old boy trying to, you know, bring him up to respect some authority figures, but also trying to explain the whole thing that was going on with government at the time and the way yeah. people were talking to each other and, fuck, you know. All the power it's to fucking, parents. <laughs> yeah, it's a fucking mess, man. Yeah. Good time not to have kids, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. I am uh, definitely Good wrapped. choice. Good choice. <laughs> uh, Dave, thank you so much. Uh, let's talk again soon. Thank you to Dave Anthony and Rachel Melanta for being guests on my podcast today. Remember, you can join our Facebook private page if you'd like to discuss anything you're enjoying at the moment, or just head over to our regular page if you want updates for upcoming podcast shows, etc. Uh, over at my site, justinhamilton.com.au, there's a new Dispatches from the Fury Road blog, Universal Eye. Well, I... It came out about a week and a half ago, but I'd just like to remind you now and again, it's a three-minute read that you might like to check out. And, uh, yeah, maybe we'll just keep it at that for the moment. Thanks for all the nice reviews as well and the really lovely feedback that you've been sending this way. Encouraging people to listen to this podcast is uh, the best thing you can do for it. And uh, I've noticed uh, your messages on social media to other people when you've kept me in the loop with things. And uh, for all of you that have done that, Thank you very much. Since Dave and I talked about him earlier, I'm going to sign off with a quote from the creator of The Wire and the plot against America, David Simon. Albert Camus, a great humanist and existentialist voice, pointed out that to commit to a just cause with no hope of success is absurd. But then he also noted that not committing to a just cause is equally absurd. But only one choice offers the possibility for dignity, and dignity matters. Dignity matters. Until then. Selling a little? Or a lot. Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quinn's. 
Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.